Hello, New Creation. It is time for our weekend edition of Daily Devos. Today, we got a great conversation with two of our community, Tiara Lujan and Maribeth Troyer. Both are nurses. Both work in the trauma unit of UNMH. And both have some really wonderful insights into what it's like to be a nurse and how to be present to the presence of Jesus and the work of Jesus in that space, both with their coworkers and their patients, how they bring it home or don't bring it home, the, the traumatic experiences that they see and have to be a part of. So it's a great conversation. I think you'll find a lot of wisdom in their stories and be encouraged by how they see Jesus at work. This week coming up, starting Monday, Joel Hernandez is going to lead us in our Daily Devos. Um, I've really found the Daily Devos to be a great encouragement as God's Word doesn't return void. And in this crazy season, with all the political unrest and all that we're experiencing, I've just found the Psalms and the episodes of Jesus' life to speak directly to my heart and to the experience that we uh, have as a country and as a church. So let's read those scriptures together, sharing life with Jesus and one another as we pursue the peace and the justice and the flourishing of the International District. God is at work. Love you, church. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I thought of you guys, because you're nurses, <laughs> but we don't have to talk about nursing. Uh, you're not defined by your vocation. <laughs> but I thought it would be cool to hear a little bit about that and anything else you want to talk about. But just hear what life is like in general as a nurse, because it's not like it got you know tons harder with COVID, but it probably got different. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but then also, yeah, just what you're noticing about yourself, life, hospital life in these times. So, does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, so I started in the ICU last October, so it's been out there a little over a year. And I feel like, yeah, COVID's not that different in that it's like, it's the worst stories and like the saddest stories all the time. Like just tragedies that happen and um, like like loss of life too young. It's a trauma ICU, so it's like the car accidents or the freak accidents, like a skiing accident. Like, you know, a girl runs into a tree and breaks her legs and her femurs and has head trauma. Right. Um, and I think, like, seeing all those stories and, you know, these patients are, are patients and I, I guess it was different when their family was there. It's kind of like your friend, kind of, um, in a way. And just so much, like, life is hard. And life can be, like, terribly, terribly hard and traumatic for people. Um, you know, it's just, like, the unlucky people or whatever that is, you know, yeah. that brings this grief and pain into people's lives. Um, And it's like something we don't see a lot in like a normal day, like a normal basis, because those are like the 
outliers, you know, that are getting bad accidents and that end up in an ICU for, oh, you know, a while on a ventilator. Right. I guess COVID was different in that, like, they weren't, I mean, like, so much of their communities, especially, like, the Navajo communities were in the ICU. And so I think that's what is, like, particularly sad about it because... A lot of the people that came in, their mom had it and their dad and, like, you know, a family member or two have died already and now they are in this scary situation, their own, you know, their own selves. Um, and so, Tara and I were actually talking about it the other day, but it's just like that. Um, Just like the difference, the socioeconomical difference, or just the inequalities of our life, mm-hmm. of life, just made, made it so sad for like this whole generation of like people, this right. people group, you know? Right. Yeah, I've heard that coronavirus isn't racist, right? But mm-hmm. it exposes mm-hmm. racial inequities yeah. and yeah. racial injustices mm-hmm. and, and class injustices and things yeah. like that. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You can go on. Tell me what you were telling me. My new position, temporary position, is at the call center for the ICU. And so any ICU patient in the state has to be called in by their doctor to this ICU center. And then we work to find them an ICU bed. And the reason that this started is because of the pandemic. Because we're actually at 130% capacity across all the hospitals across the state. And so... Finding ICU beds has become a very difficult challenge for our state. And so it's not based on insurance. It's not based on health care. I mean, like, you know, previous health comorbidities, any of that. It's just like, do we have a bed available? And so it's been really eye-opening for me to see that most of the patients that are needing ICU care are coming from these rural places. And it's really exposed, like we were talking about, the, the differences in health equity. Like here in the city of Albuquerque, we have so much access to health resources that they don't have an hour away from here. Mm. And so I literally have taken calls from nurses that are like, I have four ICU patients. Usually our ratio is like two ICU patients. These nurses are calling and they're like, we have four to five ICU patients. We have no ventilators left. We have no medicine. Please take my patient. And so it's been like a really difficult challenge to try and find um, resources for people when we just don't have any resources left to give. So it's been really actually like very eye-opening, but also disheartening because like we've actually had to deny care to people because mm-hmm. we just didn't have the resources to transport them here. Um, and as healthcare providers, like we're taught to save and to like rescue or, or to help, you know, and like not being able to help during this pandemic has been kind of difficult. But <clears throat> I don't know. We like, I love our job. I love what we get to do. I love that we get to see um, people when they're in their most vulnerable place and be able to meet them there. And it feels like such an opportunity and an honest, like it just feels like such an opportunity to be able to care for people, um, like be able to do something mm-hmm. in the middle of all this, you know? But it hasn't like really changed all that much, you know? <laughs> We're, we've been at 100% capacity for years. But, um, but I think that what it has exposed is just like we were talking about the health inequities. Mm. And then what do we do as people who follow Jesus in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. And I don't know the answers. We were talking about it. We're like, we don't know answers. We just know the answers. Yeah. We're just here. (laughs) (laughs) We're just here washing feet and Mm -hmm. yeah, doing the best we can. So you kind of describe Mary Beth and then I'm hearing you describe this too, Tiara, as like 
these, especially working in trauma, it's like you said, these are kind of the unlucky ones. These are the minority, like the freak accidents or really, but they're all concentrated in your area. So yeah. all the freak accidents in the city show in up. The at, state. In like the, the state, like the worst, yeah, the worst yeah. accidents, yeah. So then I imagine that starts to impact your view of the world a little bit. Um, does it? As you see more trauma, like, yeah. as opposed, like, I haven't seen a uh-huh. traumatic event for quite a while. <laughs> I think um, but you see it every bad. day. Yeah, very <laughs> bad keeps me stable. <laughs> I'm always like, we're going to die. Yeah. She's like, we're going to be fine. <laughs> I think, like, knowing that out of the whole state, like, this is the worst that happens. Mm-hmm. It actually brings maybe a little more peace of mind, which is kind of funny to say because of all the people living in the state and mm-hmm. it's, the worst, you know, happen in these, you know, 25 beds that are full. Okay. That's not a terror. That's a very small percentage, okay. I think. But um, it has, like, Nathan's not going to get a motorcycle. Right. Really <laughs> is never going to get that. And we're always going to ski with a helmet on. Yeah. So those changes yeah. have been made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Prisoner so, of optimism, so it will, yeah. not, it will not hamper my optimism. I still think you're a seven there, Beth. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, so back to this what's it look like to be a Jesus follower in this? And you say you don't have answers. Like, talk to me a little bit about what's, what's the tension or what's the, where's the, the wondering, the confusion, the curiosity? What's, so for me, in the very, very beginning when COVID started and um, they started canceling surgeries and started closing the hospital and not allowing visitors and things like that, I felt really anxious about all of it because so much of our job includes the visitors, um, includes the family members. Like that's a huge part of healing is including family support. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, we're not allowed to have visitors anymore. There's nobody walking the hallways. Just, you know, like it's just much more quiet, much more sanitary almost. And um, I really struggled with it a lot in the beginning. And I was praying through a lot of my own anxiety, and I just felt like um, God was revealing to me that we have this opportunity to be, like, almost ushered into the Holy of Holies with the people that, like, nobody else gets to encounter. And um, I even had a really good friend who's a nurse practitioner who started taking COVID patients, and she was like, you guys as nurses are, like, hands-on, 12 hours, 13 hours of your day. Whereas the doctors will go in and see the patient and leave, or the respiratory therapist, like respiratory therapists actually do spend a lot of time in the room. But there's like certain practices that say like they have control of the patient, but they really only spend like five, 10 minutes with the patient. Whereas nurses and respiratory therapists and certain other disciplines really get like one-on-one time. And I think that was more humbling for me than anything because it was like, I want to use that time well. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in my patient's room, I'm putting myself at risk anyway. I might as well just like love them, you know? So what does that look like? And so... When I adopted that mindset, for me, it was really helpful because I was going into my patients' rooms and I was seeing that, like, just normal humanity wasn't be- being given to these people um, for whatever reason. Like, we're all busy and we have really sick patients. And so it's, it happens. But, like, some of my patients weren't having their hair washed or their teeth brushed or, like, even lotion put on their body. And so I feel like, like Jesus gave me this perspective of, like, this is what I've done for you. Like, I have gone to the most. I have died on the cross for you. And you can go into a patient's room and you can put lotion on their legs. Like, mm-hmm. it seems so simple. But it was also just such an honor to be able to do that. Because, like, not everybody gets that opportunity. 
So I feel kind of weird working in a call center now because I feel like I've like given up on this calling in my life. But um, it was just like such a beautiful reminder of what Jesus has done for us, that he's done even more than that. Like he washes our feet and he washes our souls and he gives us eternal life. Um, but also like just the opportunity to be able to do that for other people that like nobody else in the world will ever see. And yeah. it was just really, I don't know. And I think it gave me a huge heart for the Native American people, especially over the last eight months. Like they've become way more impassioned about their equity. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what that looks like long term. But yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. So the witness. Yeah. Being with people. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like there's a lot of, uh, I don't hear a lot of uh, lack of clarity there. Yeah. What it was like? Sounds like you got it for me. Lot good. of clarity. Sounds <laughs> like you nailed it. I just had to like talk to Jesus a lot over the last eight months because otherwise I just get way too anxious. So did it feel like was the struggle like was the disconnect before like you're looking for something like epic or something that felt more meaningful or significant than yeah. just like washing someone's hair or putting lotion on their bodies or being kind. Was that the tension before? Probably. And I think for me, I always want to see miracles happen. Yeah. Like that's kind of, I'm always like, God, why haven't you done something yet? Like, why have you have the capacity to wipe out a pandemic? Mm-hmm. Why haven't you done that? Mm-hmm. And so in that tension, like just seeing that maybe God's heart for us is not to like clear the pandemic right now. And I don't know why. Like, I'm not going to say that I understand any of that because I don't. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's just been more of like wrestling through who is God and like what does he actually want of his people and what does that look like for us even if we're not in healthcare or washing people's feet that are you know COVID ICU like what does it look like on a day-to-day basis for us to be people who follow Jesus in the middle of a pandemic Mm -hmm. and the pandemic that he is not curing or taking away you know Mm -hmm. the the pandemic that he is not like solving for us and um, I don't pretend to understand that but like what is our role in that and do we You know, because I think what we were talking about a little bit last night is that um, someone asked me if I've seen more people come to Jesus because of the pandemic. And the truth is no. Like, I haven't. I haven't seen people come to Jesus. I've actually seen people turn away from Jesus because of the the example, quote-unquote, example of people who say they love Jesus, right? So. What are you talking about? And so, like, I just, I think it's been really heavy on my heart of, like, do I believe that this is true? And if it is true, what does that look like practically? Mm Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, I've been thinking about a lot about the restorative justice of God and like the already and the not yet. And so like just general, like, I mean, the ice, because I mean, you've been in the ICU for a long time. I've, you know, just been there for this year or whatever. And so just seeing like the terrible things like abuse that happens and like, it's just all these like why questions, like to allow like this level of brokenness where you know people abuse other people like helpless people and the sadness of the families you know over these things or whatever it is that's fresh in my mind because I had a patient who was abused the other day um but yeah I think um just thinking about like what does what does that mean to like have this this promise of restoration um and to hope in that, yet knowing, like, this is our fallen world, and it's not changing anytime soon. Like, this is, like, the state of humanity. And what does that mean for, like, me as a believer in Jesus to, like, have hope and restoration? And I don't know. I don't I don't understand that. And I don't actually know, like, yeah, what that even means for my patients. 
I mean, I mean, you know, I have hope, you know, if, you know, things were to happen to me or people, you know, I know, but what about these people that don't know Jesus mm-hmm. and like, and so many people that are in so much like pain and suffering and mm. I don't know. I yeah. don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Those questions. And I, I don't know if you feel the impulse. I feel the impulse to try to answer them, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's definitely not the scope of the, of this conversation. <laughs> Although but, I'd love to hear some answers. <laughs> yeah. I am like an answer person. You mean, I really you mean, love answers. Yeah. yeah, that'll be next weekend. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, I know, but I think part of it is sitting with this, and I think when I look at the life of Jesus, we do see him bringing some immediate healing, but... Even in Jesus' life, those are, those are not the norm. Most of the time, he's with people. Mm-hmm. And even on the cross is how... I mean, God could just snap his fingers mm-hmm. and dealt with sin, but that's not how it worked. He, it's through the suffering piece mm-hmm. and the withness piece. And so, yeah. I think it's good to let those questions sit for a bit. Yeah. How does this impact, um, like, you know, taking it home? Like, I think everyone in their life, uh, with their work and their family life, has a hard time closing the door on the day. Um, how do you guys deal with that? Especially in really intense, you know, you, you care for someone who's been abused. Or whenever I look, at, think of you, I think of the story of the burn victim that you told me about. And I'm just like, oh. Um, and so how do you leave those really intense situations and then come home to be with your kids and your husband and what's that look like? I don't think I do it well. (laughs) I feel like there is an emotional disconnect with people, with patients, and I think it's kind of a built-in protective mechanism, honestly. I think it makes it harder when you deal with because like most of our patients are um, sedated, mm. they are not. So they're not like talking to you or interacting with you if they're very sick, you know. But when you have families there that are talking and loving mm. their um, loved one, or even on you know zooming with them or facetiming with them, I think that makes it like brings the emotional connection mm-hmm. to your patients, which makes that harder actually. Like to mm. just kind of like leave it there. Um, I don't know, but I don't like dream about them or yeah. anything like that. I don't feel like I carry the weight of my patients home with me. Yeah, and that's just something more about how you're able to do it naturally. Yes, kind I of am. is it intent? Is there any intentional steps that you take, or just kind of hasn't no. been a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do take my patients home with me. Yeah, definitely. It's because you're a two. I am <laughs> very much a two yeah. <laughs> on Enneagram. Um, it's been really helpful having Mary Beth there. Like, to be completely honest, over the last... You've been there like a year now, right? And I'm not going to know right now, but when she was there, I got to process with you a lot, and that helped a ton to have another believer mm-hmm. to talk through things with. Um, but before Mary Beth, I... <laughs> before I had Mary Beth, I talked to my journal. <laughs> okay, cool. Journaling, yeah. So I journaled a lot, and I often would write patient stories out um, just to help me process them and see them in a different light. 
And Jared, I hear Jared hears all my stories, even yeah. if he doesn't know what to do with them. Here's yeah. all of them. So for me, like processing happens through um, just like maybe taking a couple days and talking about the really hard stories and um, praying through them and just like asking God what I'm supposed to do with those things. Yeah. Um, there's a couple that still sit with me that kind of, I don't know if haunt is the right word, but like that sit with me, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, thankful for people like Mary Beth. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And that just goes into even the idea of like co-suffering love isn't like a solo sport, really. It's, it requires a community. I hear that in your TR. It's like, it was a lot harder by yourself, you know? Um, that's, that's great that you guys have each other. That's cool. Well, can we, um, I know it's been heavy. I don't know if this will make the, the recording, but can I ask you some speed round questions? Some funny, first thing, first thing that comes to mind. You can try. We'll bring some levity to this situation. All right. I'll go with Tiara Marabeth, okay? Okay. Your first. Tiara, favorite cereal? Probably Life. Life. <laughs> nice. That's so bad. Me? Yeah. Peanut butter, Captain Crunch. Peanut butter, Captain Crunch. But I don't eat cereal. But if I did, <laughs> I would eat peanut butter, Captain yes, Crunch. Yes, awesome. Um, beach or mountains? We'll start with... Uh, beach. Beach, Marabeth. Oh, Mountains. Mountains. All right. Um, show you are binge watching right now, Tiara. I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go with Game of Thrones on that one. Yeah, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, it was full vulnerability. Come on. Full vulnerability. You can tell us later. Okay. Bridgerton is really good, and then it got really, really scandalous, oh, cool. and then I was like, oh no. <laughs> I saw the preview. It looked pretty good. Yeah. It's really scandalous. All right. Um, what? What are you reading right now? We just finished reading um, The Cross and the Lynching Tree nice. with our book. We had a little book club that we did. Yeah. And that was really good and really good discussion. Awesome. With that. Really good. Yeah, I'm really thankful for you guys. And let me end with this question. What's one way, um, you can make it as personal or as general as you want, but what's one way we could pray for you or for nurses in general? But um, whichever way you want to take it what, what comes to mind I am in the process of deconstructing mm-hmm. and just um, I need clarity I need I have so many questions mm-hmm. and I want to like actually ask all my hard questions and like write down my hard questions mm-hmm. and um, like I don't know not that I need like, not that I need all the answers but I need to have a theology that answers those questions mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so totally Thanks, Mary Beth. Yeah, thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that one for me. I think it's especially been interesting through the last year to see how our, like Mary Beth and I are very blatantly Christians on our unit, and we're not the majority. And so I think that there's been lots of good conversations and just thinking about like the hopelessness that a lot of our coworkers are experiencing right now, and then you know, we're saying like, we have hope in Jesus, but what does that actually mean? And when they ask me those questions or when they ask us those questions, like, how do we respond to that? And I think that, yeah, so like praying for our own like journey in this deconstruction and like figuring out who Jesus really is and that, that we would be able to answer questions well when they're asked of us. It's been, I mean, it's been a year of like Mm -hmm. us going on this journey with our coworkers, which has been really cool to see even just the changes that God has made already. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
but also just I feel it for my coworkers a lot and for our coworkers of like just this hopelessness feeling. Yeah. Um, I probably spend way too much time on social media <laughs> seeing all their posts, but everybody's like very, very discouraged. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's healthcare in general right now. And so like if we're saying that we have hope in Jesus, how do we provide that hope to our people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm hearing in that a little bit, like as you guys are asking new questions and fresh questions, maybe questions that you didn't have the courage to ask before or wonder about before, but you're kind of seeing God present and at work because your coworkers who maybe have never maybe had a faith in Jesus are kind of on the journey with you. Mm-hmm. And so he's, uh, he's building something new in, in all of you. Okay? Is that Am I hearing that right? Am I, I putting words in your mouth? So. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. It sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. I think I'll probably.